There are going to come times when you're going to stand on the dock and have to wave goodbye to your loved ones and say, I'm sorry, I can't go any further. You have got a higher purpose and a higher calling. I'm going to have to leave. And he says, and whosoever doth not bear his own cross and come after me, come after me. Now, let me ask you something. He didn't say that he was going to drag this, did he? When he says, take his own cross, he didn't say, here, I'm going to lay it on your shoulder. He said, you must willfully, willingly say, Lord Jesus, I die. I receive my cross. I'm willing to let my life be given up and let you live your life out through me. I will receive that, and Lord, I'll prove it by following after your footsteps. I'm only talking about dependable vessels now. You see, if we're walking around in the flesh yet, we're not dependable at all, because sooner or later, something's going to happen, something's going to come up, where we're not going to make it through because we have not been willing to go that far. So Jesus said, just in case the crowd's getting too big, I want you to know that you cannot be my disciple if you don't bear your cross and come after me, willingly follow after me. For which of you intending to build a tower? Now he's talking about the completion. For which of you intending to build a tower? Now, by the way, he is talking about the individual building the tower, not God building the tower, the individual building the tower. He's talking about life circumstances, building holy character, allowing the life of Christ to be formed in us. That's what he's speaking of here. To allow to be put on the wheel of life circumstances and turned round and round and molded and molded and molded. He says, for which of you intending to build a tower... And you see the foundation is being built already. Build a tower. Sit us not down first and count us the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. See, the multitudes were following him, and he said, before you start coming, I don't want to waste a lot of your time. Before you start coming this way, let me explain to you the rules. Jesus says, let me explain to you what the rules are here. And he says, now is the time to make that decision. Not when you're starting to put the roof on, Right now, make this decision to make sure that you are totally committed to this situation and that you are able to finish it. Not something, well, Lord, I'll follow you until thus and such a time. And if it doesn't require this, then I may still follow you. Jesus said, look, a dead man is dead. He didn't say, we are the ministers of God. He said, we are Paul, Paulus, Stephen. He said, we are the ministers. We are... God sent messengers to come and feed the flock and teach the flock and grow up the flock and edify the flock and the building finish it up. Verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise architect, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Now notice there, according to the grace of God. What's grace of God? What is grace? The power to know and to do God's will. Paul says, according to the ability that God gave me to know and do his will, I laid the architectural plan. As a wise master builder, I have laid out, God revealed to me the message of the gospel, and I laid out its superstructure. I have laid out the foundation and given it as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed what he buildeth thereupon. Be careful, first of all, how you build thereupon. Paul says, I've already laid a good foundation. You better be careful what you do from there on up. The foundation has been laid. 
the foundation has been laid, but you better be careful from there on. Now look what the foundation is. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now here he says he's the foundation. And in another place in Ephesians, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Now, there are many interpretations of that word cornerstone in Ephesians, the second chapter. Some people say that it means the, the stones at every corner of the building that hold up the superstructure. Others say that it's four pillars. All different interpretations there. Some say it is the one building block that if it were knocked out, the building would collapse. Uh, as you read the different uh, books on it, it's interesting the different emphasis that are given to the cornerstone. But here Paul says that Jesus Christ is the foundation. Now look over, just keep your finger here, but look over in Ephesians, the second chapter. Verses 19 and 20. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household or family of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the buildings, fitly framed together, built unto an holy temple in the Lord. Now there he says there's another foundation. There is the basic foundation, Jesus Christ. He is the foundation, he is the chief cornerstone. Now built upon that are the apostles. Now why did he say that? Because we went not too long ago to tell you, I mean just not too long ago we told you that the, uh, a dependable servant, a dependable vessel, is one who says what God says. And we showed you that Jesus Christ said he said nothing except the Father said it. He did nothing except the Father told him to do it. Then he says, I'm going away and the Holy Spirit's going to come back and teach you all things that I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit didn't say anything but what Jesus told him to say. Paul the Apostle says, now these things which I have learned declare I unto you. What Paul did was only what the Holy Spirit told him to say. That's what he said. The other apostles, as they were led by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, they wrote out the word of God. They wrote what God said. This is God breathed. This is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And so everything that was said was said because God said it through the Holy Spirit. Now they laid the foundation. They are the first layer. They didn't change anything. And Paul says, now be careful what you put on top of this. They were faithful. We have said what God says. We have established what God says. We're saying the same thing that God says. Now you make sure when you build the, the superstructure that you do the same thing. Be careful how you build. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You see, it's not enough to say that we're dependable. It's necessary for us to know that the day will come when we'll really find out whose work was dependable. That's why I say there are many, many people who have these extravaganza ministries today where multiplied millions of dollars may be coming to them, but you know, in that last day when the fire begins to, to test it, how much will really be left? Contrary wise, there may be some unknown missionaries and unknown pastors and unknown ministers that no one knows anything about, but they have been faithful, faithful, faithful. And that day when you look over their shoulder and see the reward that God's going to give them, you're going to be stunned because it isn't the amount of work done, it's the sort of work that's done. It's the motivation 
that causes us to do the work that's so important. This is why I've told you time and time again, oh, it would be wonderful to have thousands of people in, your, in the church. But I don't want thousands of people in the church unless God wants thousands of people in the church. And if God wants them there and he brings them there, it's going to be beautiful. I'm not interested in people for people's sake. I'm interested in people who mean business with God and are willing to do what the Word says and do what God says. This is why it's the manner or the sort of work. That's what we're going to be rewarded by. When it talks about fire there, uh, I don't know that we're talking about literal fire, but if you'll notice over in Revelation, the first chapter in the 14th verse, when John the Beloved was saw, saw, this, saw Jesus Christ there on the Isle of Patmos, it's interesting how he looked at him and he said, and his eyes were like fire. Paul is saying here, these servants are, my, are the Lord's servants, and they can work and build, but they're very careful how they build, because in that day when Jesus, with eyes that are like fire, pierces through the motive, motives for that work, all the dross will be burned away. And in that day, you'll really know what was done because of the, for the glory of God and what wasn't done. What was done for self, what was done for self-aggrandizement and so forth, what was done for popularity's sake, what was done and how many compromises were made. You see, there's only going to be two different sets of building materials. Gold, silver, and precious stones. This fire is not going to hurt. And then wood, hay, and stubble. You know, it just seems a tragedy to me that a man would be called into a ministry and find that the foundation has already been set and it's already established. It's even printed out. The architect's plans are right here. And he'd start out with a good foundation, knowing Christ himself, but then to begin to put wood, hay, and stubble in his teaching on top of it. And I've had some... I actually had a pastor tell me one time that he, his purpose and being the reason he was able to stay in the church all the 30 years he was in the church was because he never preached on controversial things. He always said this. He said, there's no sense in getting people all upset. He said, if I just preach down, you know, just preach the Lord right down the middle, he said, there's no problem. And I thought, how tragic. The Word of God is controversial. And there are times when we've got to determine, cause men, men and women to determine not to do what the natural man says, but to do what the Spirit says. What the Word of God says and tells the Spirit that it ought to do. And in that day, when all those works are tried by fire, you really wonder what shall be left. For every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall, re shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. It's talking about those who are in the ministry, those who are messengers, if they're faithful, to build upon the foundation that God has established, and a dependable servant of Christ will recognize that he's only God's messenger. Paul the apostle said, hey, don't give me credit for preaching. Don't get all excited about the fact that I'm preaching. I'm not doing it because I wanted to do it. God called me into the ministry, and I have no brothers. I have no choice in the matter. I'm here because God put me here. And I'm a faithful servant. I'm going to be a faithful servant. I'm going to die every day. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. And it seems the end of the thing I have fought a good fight, and I've finished the course. Glory to God, what a testimony for a man 
They're able to be in a prison cell knowing he's facing death and be able to say, I've finished the course. I did everything God told me to do. I said everything God told me to say. And Paul, in saying that, did not say, now you all ought to acclaim me and set me up on a high... No, he said, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. Only the grace of God called me out of all that. And I know that in that day, he says, let me tell you something, he said, all the way through my ministry, after having received all these revelations and all this truth, I fear, lest the day come, that I also get set on a shelf and be cast away and I become one of those vessels under dishonor. He says, I get up every day and have a funeral service. I am just a messenger of Jesus Christ. And I says, you saints out there, he says, you Corinthians and all of you that call on the name of Christ, don't get enamored with the personality of a person. Get enamored with the word that comes out of the mouth if it's true, good seed. And always be enamored with the Christ of the word. Grow up. Forget about, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Luther, I am of Wesley, I am of whatever. Forget that stuff. We're all of Christ. We have one head, and all of us that are in the ministry, whether we like it or not, are one. And there are differences of opinion, but Paul says, quit emphasizing the differences and plant the seed and water the seed because that's the only thing we're going to get a reward for. And dependable, dependable vessels will do that very thing. Very quickly, I'm going to give you a closing illustration just over one page in the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 14. All I can say, church, says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for those who have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. He said, I led you to Christ. The Spirit of God witnessed the truth through my messages to you. You found that what I was saying was reality. You found that what I was declaring was truth and life. And you have come into life. Now, if that was so, and I am preaching life and teaching life, follow me. In another place, he clarified it a little more by saying, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm glad that that was established. Verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and dependable in the Lord, and faithful, dependable in the Lord. Why is he dependable and faithful in the Lord? Look at verse 17, the last part. He shall bring you into remembrance of I want you to know that Timothy is faithful because he's saying what I said. I'm saying what the Holy Spirit said, and the Holy Spirit is saying what Jesus said, and Jesus is saying what the Father said. And if you want to find somebody that's dependable, Paul said, here's a dependable fellow, because he and I are saying the same thing. You see why it's so very, very important that we all say the same thing? If it's consistent with the Word, we ought to all be saying what's consistent with the Word. He said, bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. My ways are in Christ. My ways, Paul said, are in Christ. If you walk in my ways, like Timothy will teach you my ways, you will be in Christ. Because that which I am teaching is founded in Christ. As I teach everywhere and in every church. Paul says, I'm not looking for parents. But Timothy has found truth from the teachings that I teach that are in Christ, and so he's saying exactly what I'm saying. 
He's not a robot, he's not a parrot, but he found out truth. He's found the truth agrees and lines up with what God has said, and so that's all he's going to declare. The Bereans, Paul recommended or commended the Bereans in Acts the 17th chapter, because they were more noble than the others. Look at them. Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greek and of men, not a few. They not only heard the word, they received the word, they took it home and studied all through the Old Testament to see if what Paul was teaching was truth. And that's why I say time and time again, it's not enough for you to come to church and sit through church and listen to messages. It's not enough to walk away and say, this is what Pastor Webb thinks and this is what Pastor says. You've got to go beyond that and study it for yourself. You see, you can't say, I don't believe that. You and I do not have the privilege to walk into a church today and just say, I don't believe that. So the pastor you sit there, I don't care, I don't believe that. Because it isn't just whether you believe it or I believe it, it's is it in the word of God. Neither have we the right to say, my pastor says or my pastor believes. It isn't going to cut it. We've got to dig into the Word of God and find out why I'm saying what I'm saying and find out if it is consistent with the Word of God and be able to come back and say, I know what I believe because it's found there in the Word of God. Because when the flood comes, when the flood comes, when the storm comes, you won't stand. If you're saying, I don't believe that, or you're saying, my pastor says, it won't stand when the storm comes. You don't have a foundation. You don't have a foundation. Rooted and grounded in the rock. Jesus Christ, the living word. Yoga, the written word. That's where your foundation is. And that day you can stand out there. How many, I don't know how many times in my ministry I've heard people say, well, I don't go to church up there because I don't believe such and such. Why don't you believe it? Well, I just can't go along with it. Why don't you believe it? Why can't you go along with it? Well, I don't know. It just kind of grinds grace on me wrong. Well, have you studied the Word of God? Well, I don't want to talk about it, but I just can't believe that stuff. It isn't going to, it isn't going to stand when the storm comes, when the flood comes. You better know what the Word says. Dependable vessels will know what the Word of God says. I'm just going to finish by reading some scriptures to you out of Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew 7, 21 through 28. Matthew 7, verse 21. Now, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work lawlessness or iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, will I liken unto him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. 
And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. That's the portion, that word astonished means in the Greek, exceedingly and abundantly flattened out. They were exceedingly and abundantly flattened out, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribe. Paul the Apostle says, I speak with authority too, I am your spiritual father. And there's one faithful young man that's going to come to you and he's going to teach you my ways and the things that I'll say and be followers of me because Timothy is dependable. And God says, I am looking for vessels unto honor and vessels unto honor are dependable, dependable people who see what my word says, who says what my word says, who do what my word says and will study to find out what my word says so they can say and do what my word says. Those are faithful people. Not enamored, not following after individuals, but rather recognizing them as the Lord's servant in the vineyard. You know, it's almost ludicrous to think that a, a grapevine out in a vineyard would have a worker come up to it and it would say, no, you get away. I like John over there to work on my on my roof, not you. You just get away. You just, once in a while, you dip my roof too close. So you just get away, you know. No, the, the workers just see to it that the vines are able to produce fruit. And God says, that's why the, my servants are there. So quit getting all enamored with that. Know that they're called. Know that they're there. And that I'm going to reward them in that day. And they're responsible and answerable to me. And they're responsible for teaching you and strengthening you and edifying you that you might bring forth fruit. That you be dependable for me. Say what I say and do what I say. And you're the ones that will be honored and blessed. And if you don't, in that day, I'll say, depart from me, you that work lawlessness, for I never knew you. God's looking for dependable vessels. Second Timothy, the second chapter. Again, I want to just read to you verses 19 through 21. I hope that every time you read these verses, the words expendable, expendable, bendable, and dependable will ring in your ears. These are the subjects or thoughts that we have been bringing out concerning these verses. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 through 21. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Again, let me declare, we choose how God will use us. We determine whether we'll be a vessel unto honor or a vessel unto dishonor. By those very decisions, it will be said of us that we have a different spirit about us. We've been talking about being dependable. A usable vessel is dependable. We said that a dependable person personally builds a good foundation, digs down to the rock, and builds a good foundation upon which to build their Christian experience and their Christian work. 
that they did determine the cost ahead of time so that when they get down the road, they'll say, well, I didn't know that it included this. Jesus said, make sure you count the cost before you begin. And make sure that you understand that the cost is everything. Nothing left out. Jesus said, I want total control of your life. I want to be absolute Lord of your life. And be sure you're willing to do that. First of all, personally, it should be done by building a foundation, the completion of which is very important, building a foundation upon the Word of God. Not upon individuals, not upon family relationships, not upon uh, our education, but strictly upon what does the Word of God say, that will determine what I do. Then we talked about it being involved in the ministry aspect. When you begin to build and operate and flow, if, if God calls you into a ministry office, there is an essential truth there for you also to realize that you have a foundation already set for you upon which you should build. The apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And when you begin to build on that foundation, Paul says, make sure what materials you use. Make sure that the materials you use will stand the fire, the test of fire. Because when we stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, every work that we have ever performed will be judged by its motivation. Why did we do it? Did we do it in order to earn our salvation? If we did, there's no value to it whatsoever because all of our righteousness is our filthy rights. But if we did it out of a love for Christ and a desire to please Him and to be obedient to Him, then it'll stand the test of fire. And the Word of God tells us that today, in this day and age, God is not looking for parents. God's looking for men and women of conviction. You don't parrot what the pastor says. You hear what the pastor says. You study the Word of God to see whether it be so, and you cause it to become a conviction in your heart, and then you say what God is showing you from the Word of God. To say, I said last week, to say, I don't believe that, or the pastor says he's not going to pass the test when the storm comes. You've got to know that you know that you know that you know what the Word of God says, and it doesn't make a difference what anyone else says. I feel, I just feel very bad to people when they're embarrassed when people come and say, does this church believe us and such? Yeah, well, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, I feel sorry for you. Because you ought to have a ready answer to come right back. What do you mean? Our church believes. I know what I believe. What do you think about our church? Well, I understand they believe us and such. Well, don't you believe that? Why don't you believe that? Well, now all of a sudden they're going to, uh, 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 uh. If you know what the Word of God says. Time and time again, it's been exciting lately to have people come and say, you know, I talked to such and such person, and they said thus and such, and I said, well, don't you believe that? Well, no. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe that. Well, how can you believe that when the Word says this? Look at this verse. What does this verse say? And when they get through, they shake their head and said, I didn't know the Word said that. See, the world wants to know. I mean, the people want to know what the Word says. So the Word of God says here that we have to become as the Bereans, know what the Word of God says. Because when the flood comes, and I said again, it's not if the flood comes, but when the flood comes, we're going to have to stand. You see, it's not enough to say and do what God's Word says. When we come into the area of ministry and be dependable, it means we've not only got to say and do it, but we've got to train others how to say and do it. You know, I've talked time and time again to you about families. I said, parents, just getting your kids up through the teenagers and out into marriage in their own homes does not prove that you're a successful parent. The real proof of being a successful parent is to watch your grandchildren. 
to see if you put principles in your children that they will teach to their children, and your children and grandchildren both have biblical principles by which you operate. If they don't, you fail. Now, the same thing is true here. Also, Timothy, now I've taught you what to say. Timothy, I expect you to teach other faithful men, to teach other faithful men, to teach other faithful men, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. You see, that's a faithful, that's a dependable person. Now, what is the result of dependability? Look with me quickly at uh, Luke. Luke chapter 19. We'll be coming back to 2 Timothy, but Luke, the 19th chapter, is the parable of the parents. Luke 19, beginning with verse 12. The result of dependability. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens heeded him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass, that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money. So you have to understand, first of all, it wasn't their money to begin with, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Now take this up, and that thou layest not down, and reapest where thou hast not sown. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that, I laid nothing down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest thou not my money into the bank, that at my coming I may have, might have required mine own with interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it unto him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. So I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now, first of all, who was the nobleman that went away on a long trip to return again? Who was the nobleman in this portion that went away and was going to return again and gave his servant talent? Jesus. Now, look where the talents that he gave him. Now, in the, in the story here, when he gave it, he was talking about money. But I believe that he gives us abilities and gifts that we are to use and to stir up and to make fruitful that we might reproduce after our own time. And he already told us that we were going to be working in an environment that is not friendly because they said, we will not have this man rule over us. But just because they said it, it did not have any influence or any impact on the servants, did it? Except one. The one that, got, that made his talents into ten talents, the other that made his talents into five talents, they were working in the same environment of which the third one was working when he buried his and did not put it even to use it. So God's saying that every one of you start off, every one of you have talents, every one of you have abilities, and what you do with it is very, very important. The result of dependability will be manifest in the fact of multiplication. Not just of your gifts, but after your own time. 
The more you use what God has given you, first of all, that's the first principle, the more you will receive. But in the using of that principle, in the using of those gifts, in the using of that which God has given to you, there will be others around you that will be drawn to you and they also will reproduce. Even as Paul said to Timothy, the result of dependability. Now it's interesting here how God blesses those that are faithful. The one that came back with ten talents, and the one with five, Jesus said the same thing to both of them. But see, the second one was not a ten-talent man. He was a five-talent man. That's all the one he could do. He did the best he could. When I see some people trying to be like someone else and do what someone else is doing, I feel frustrated for them. Because God only knows what race he has set before you, and if you seek his face, he'll show you. Don't drive, try to be a cross-country runner, then God wants you in the 50-yard dash. Don't try to be a high jumper when God wants you to be a broad jumper. And don't stand there saying, oh, I wish I could jump as high as he can. If you can jump broader than he can, then jump broad. Because you see, it's essential that you and I understand the gift or the talent that Jesus has given to us. And whatever it is, if we will use it and not bury it, if we will cause it to become productive and not dead, Jesus said when he does back here, he rewards you. Notice there he says this faithful and dependable. will multiply that which God has given them. And if they don't, Jesus is very, very, gives a very saving reprimand to that man. You know, I don't want to stand before Jesus not day and have him say, what did you do with this kind of project? Why did you bury it? I want to say something. If anybody had the privilege or the right to bury a talent, it's any guy that would come from, I know you all know right where this is, Springmont, Now, you can't get any further out in the sticks than I was there. And they almost rolled up the sidewalks after 7 o'clock at night in that little town. And I mean, I was working down, I mean, unknown, unheard of. I, I would have every right in the world to have just gotten myself a job and stayed right there. But God didn't call me just to spend on a thing. Wherever you live, some of you may be coming in from way out in the country, and nobody even knows you there, but God knows you there. And he says, I've called you, and I've given you a talent, I've given you an ability, and you must multiply that ability. You must use it for the glory of the kingdom of God. And if you don't, the word of God says those that rebel against that and that have nothing to do with Jesus, we uh, renounce him, deny him, he says, I'll deny them also. Not a very beautiful picture. The faithful and dependable people are very, very sick. Because a true disciple, according to God's word, is saved from sin and not just the consequences of sin. I'm going to say that again. A true disciple realizes that he has been saved from sin. From sin. That means out of, away from sin, and not just the consequences of sin. And consequently, since he has been saved out of or away from sin, he is totally committed to Jesus Christ. Without reservation. The word of God describes it as joining an army. Look back there at 2 Timothy, the second chapter again. 2 Timothy, the second chapter again. Therefore, my son, now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 
And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to reach, teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good what? Soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The other aspect of being dependable is becoming disciplined. If a man goes into the army, how many times have you heard somebody say about a young man they think about going into the military, say, well, that'll either make him a victim, it'll either make a man out of him or kill him, one of the two. I think you heard somebody say that. What are we talking about? What's going to kill him? The food? Sometimes. <laughs> I've, I've told sometimes, yeah. Is it going to be the, the type of clothes they have to wear? Is it going to be the one house where they stay that's going to kill them? Are they talking about having to go to the war and that's where they're going to get killed? What are they talking about? That teenager, you know, that if it weren't involuntary, would probably quit breathing, you know, slides in on the couch in, in the evening and lays there and stares until the pattern comes on the television set. In the morning, his mother finally has come out, pull the blankets down, throw his feet on the floor, put the pants under his feet and say, now here, if you can lift them, you'll make it. And he gets up and he slides against the rail all the way down the steps into the kitchen table, falls on the table, and she puts the food right in front of him and says, Now, honey, if you need any help, I'll help you. That kid, if he ever goes in the army, you know, it may kill him. Why? Because it's discipline. That little tiny five foot five sergeant walks up to you, and you're six foot two, and you weigh 230 pounds, and he says, Private, shut up, you. Straighten up, you. Yeah. And it goes on and on and on. And when the sergeant walks away, he goes, <laughs> I wish I were at home again. Because I could tell my mom and dad to take a walk. And he found out something when he walked into the army. All of a sudden, it's a totally different story. I remember how my brother in the Second World War used to tell me about the Navy requirements. They had about 730 buttons, wasn't it, up and down the side of the, the britches there? And they had to know just exactly how to do that, and every crease had to be exact, and every every uh, button had to be just so, and everything had to be polished and fit kind, and their shoes, you almost had to be able to see your face in it. And the sergeant would come around, I mean, not sergeant, but the expecting officer would come around, and, and he would go meticulously over everything. He would go to the bed and drop a quarter on it, see if it bounced a certain, certain height. And if it didn't, man, I mean, you were in trouble. If you gave a sergeant any look out on the field, he'd say, son, I want you to go over and dig a, a grave for my cigarette butt. Six foot by six foot by four foot. Now, then he'd get over and get it all done and say, that's nice, but I'm smoking another one now. I want you to dig another one over And that man could say nothing to him. Discipline. You do what I say without any remarks whatsoever. Some mothers say, oh, my poor baby. Oh, poor innocent baby going into that harsh circumstance. And all of a sudden that guy comes back. I had a relative of mine that went there and he, he walked down the street like this and he dragged his heels and his heels were all worn off. And when he came home, I couldn't believe it. That guy was over six foot two. His shoulders were back like this, and he walked down the street. I thought, what in the world happened in that one short period that he was at the military that the family couldn't do for him all the way through? I know what happened. Straighten up. I had another nephew of mine that went in the Marines. He was mama's little fat boy. And he just loved to eat. When he came back from the Marines, I mean, it was tight and solid and... The drill master would take him in the drill cap and, uh, sack and, and hit him in the stomach. Say, if that thing doesn't go in, I'll put it in. I'll get back out there and work on it, and you quit eating so much. Yes, sir. 
Paul says, now, Timothy, you know what goes on in the Roman soldiers' army, I mean the Roman army. They are disciplined. You do not disobey an order in the Roman army or you are suddenly void of the breathing, uh, capacity to breathe anymore. They kill you. He said, God wants you to be just as disciplined as us. Dependable, disciplined, committed as a body of Christ. Second Timothy again, the second chapter, verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Next Sunday we're going to get into what we're to be purged from. What we're to be purged from. Scripture says that if we'll do this, that we will be vessels, fit, prepared, ready for the master's use. You know, we would feel terrible if the military would send our men overseas with no training whatsoever. And during the Second World War, right at the beginning of the Second World War, many of them went in and were only able to have about four, five, six weeks of training and were shipped over immediately because it was such an emergency. We didn't have enough men. But there are many, many today who call themselves Christians who are not disciplined and refuse to receive discipline and to make a quality decision that Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and the work of winning souls to Jesus Christ and fellowshipping with God's people will take first place in their life. It has to, you have to determine that yourself. If a man will purge himself, he shall be a vessel unto all. God's saying, I'm just laying this before you, saying, here's the possibility. What will you do with it? We talked about the fact that a usable vessel from the Lord is one that's expendable, one that's bendable, 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 dependable. A dependable vessel, I said, was one that says what God says and does what God says, and sin is to do or say something contrary to what God is saying or doing. And a dependable vessel is one who, having received life, builds a good foundation, digging down to the rock, standing on the word, on Jesus Christ himself, the living word, based upon the truth of God's written word, standing on the word and operating in the limits and perimeters of God's word. Whatever God hasn't said, we don't do. Whatever God says, that's what we do. And determined in our heart that we're going to finish what we start. No longer able to just say, well, my pastor believes, or the church believes, or I think, or I don't believe. That doesn't, that doesn't cut it. A usable vessel is one who has studied to show themselves approved unto God, workmen that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, and knowing, and saying, based upon the word of God, this is what I believe. I have conviction. And I'll, I'll tell you again that the world is hungry and starving to find men and women of conviction. You wonder why people are going after all of the cults? Why they're going after all of the occult areas of religion? It's because they're finding people who have convictions. Even if they're wrong convictions, they have convictions. And the world is looking for people who have solid convictions based upon the word of God. And when they see the reality of that in their lives, they're going to be hungry for what you've got. They're, they're really looking for what you, for a person that has that type of motivation in their life. Now, if they find someone who's wishy and washy, and when they say, well, I, I don't believe that, we'll say, well, I, I, I guess maybe you might be right. They're not interested in hearing that. They want to hear people that know what they believe based upon the Word of God. They're looking for something that they can put their feet on and say, there's where I can stand. God knows this world has no place to stand. I want something I can stand on. And the Word of God is a place for us to stand. Now, we talked about all those things, and I want you to go back to 2 Timothy, 
The second chapter again, verses 19 through 21. Nevertheless, the foundation of God, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and to some and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I want you to look at that verse again. That is a powerful verse for believers. It is a verse with promise based upon condition. And God is duty bound, I've said this over and over again, God is duty bound to fulfill his promise if you and I will fulfill the requirements. Let me say that again. God is duty bound by the authority of his word to fulfill his promise if you and I will fulfill his requirements. Now he has placed a promise in this verse and he has placed requirements and he said if you'll fulfill these requirements then I'll fulfill my promise. Look at it again. If a man, that means any man, if any person, that in the Greek actually gives application not just to the male species, but if any person, therefore, shall that man therefore purge himself or herself from these, what's these? We're going to get into these this morning and just see some of the things that the Lord says, now if you'll purge yourself from these, what'll happen? He or she shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for or qualified for the master's use and equipped or prepared unto every good work. Wow! Isn't that a tremendous thing to be able to declare about a person? That they'll be a vessel unto honor. That they'll be placed in a special place. Sanctified means set aside for a special purpose. Sanctified and meet for the master's use or qualified. If you'll prove yourself from these things, you'll be qualified and prepared to do the master's work under every good work, equipped under every good work. So he says there's some certain things that are in the life of many believers that if they will by an act of their will and determination, knowing that they're going to have to go down to the rock and build a solid foundation and make sure they put only the best materials in the building, if they'll purge themselves from these things as they're building this building, they'll be equipped and prepared to do all the good works that I've called them to do. When Beverly and I had a chance to buy a house years ago up in Minnesota, it was a lovely brick home, and the couple who built it were the general contractors themselves. Now, I'm glad I was not the, the carpenters that had to come in and build that house, or the bricklayers that had to come in and build that house. This couple must have been in their late 60s at the time that house was built, and they told us that they were very, very watchful, and they went around and said, no, don't use that board. Don't throw that board out. Don't want that board. No, that, that brick isn't fine. No, I don't want that brick there. But, they went throughout that whole house and made sure that every brick and every board was of quality material when they built that house. So that when the storm came, when the storm came, it would stand. Let me tell you something, that house was a solidly built home. And that's what Paul is saying here to the believer. He says, be careful of the material that you're putting into the property. When you see something that ought not to be in that building, throw it out. And you're building that material. If you see there's dross in there, get rid of it. If you will... God has promised that he will cause you to be prepared and equipped to do every good work. If you will purge yourself of these things. You see that? It does not say if you'll let God purge you of these things. It says you see these things and say, I won't have that in my life in the name of Jesus. 
It has the same application that was given to us when I was teaching you concerning the renewing of your mind. Some people say, well, Brother Webb, I just can't help it. Those thoughts are just in my mind. Oh, yes, you can help it. No, I can't. Yes, you can. The Word of God says you can. Now, if the Word of God tells me that I can help something or I have control over something, then I better begin to assume control in that end. The Word of God tells me exactly what I am to think upon, and consequently, concurrently, it declares what I ought not to think upon. Only those things that are true, honest, just, pure, holy, lovely, of good report, with virtue and praise. Now, if any other thought comes into your mind, you have the authority, since it's your mind, to say, no, in the name of Jesus, I'll not receive that thought. You leave me in the name of Jesus, and I will declare what the Word of God says. What sort of things are true, honest, just, pure, all a good report, if there's virtue and praise, and that's what I'm going to think upon. Well, it's just for years, though, Brother Webb, these thoughts have been in my mind. Whose fault is it? God's already told you that you have the Holy Spirit within you to warn you of these things. He's told you to hide the Word of God away in your heart, that when you hide the Word of God away in your heart, that they, it will drive sin from you. The interest of thy word bringeth light, giveth light. And it says you're to bring up the Word of God and fight that, that those thoughts with the Word of God. Now, in like manner, every area of our life, God says it's time for you to dedicate and commit your total body to Him as a living sacrifice. They know that there are certain rules of life that you cannot let just slide without getting into trouble. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Begin to come against those things that you and I know ought not to be there. Tell them to leave. Begin to come against them on a continuous basis. Do you know how, for example, I began swearing as a child? I can almost remember the first time I let a swear word come out of my mouth, and I kind of went... And looked around. Hmm. Almost sounded manly. <laughs> I was just a little punk. So the next time I did it, when my friends were around, they kind of looked at me a little bit. You know, before long, I, I got a little braver, a little braver to where I just had vile language. But you know something? I had to develop that habit of swearing. I had to develop wicked thoughts in my mind, let them grow and grow and just feed and feed and feed on them. Now let me tell you something. Those things don't go away overnight. That's why Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. It means you've got to go back now and say, that's the old pattern I made. Now I have got to, by an act of my will, make a new track. I had one horrendous repertoire of filthy jokes before I was a Christian. To sit down by the hour until one after another, thinking that it was really something to boast about. And for, to become a Christian, and every time somebody come around and make a certain statement, or give any kind of a word with any slant to it, the old mind goes, right overnight, all of a sudden, one, two, three, four, five different stories would come up in my mind. Like, let me tell you something, there had to be a renewing of my mind. I had to just put those things out, and I found out the best way to do is begin to find out and learn some clean jokes. So when dirty ones come up with the note, that goes back in there, that goes out, and I'm going to put a new one up there and find clean jokes. I, it took a literal restoring, and then from there to go to the Word of God and begin to put all that stuff out of my mind. For I didn't dwell on that all the time. Now the same thing is true in all these things we're going to talk about this morning in Persia. The Word of God says you have a task to perform, and that is to present your body a living sacrifice to God. Now you don't bring unclean, broken things to God without declaring that you want them clean, and by his help it's going to be clean, and you're going to cooperate with God, and everything he shows you by his Spirit is going to go. 
heard himself of these things. Isn't that what it says? All right, let's, let's just go down through some of those again. Let me just read that verse one more time. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be. Is, is, that, is that positive? Absolute? No question about it. I've had people say, well, I hope the Lord can use me. God's word doesn't say he, that he, he is hopeful that he can use you. He says, you'll do what I tell you to do. I will use you. You see that he shall be a vessel unto what? Honor. Sanctified. Put in a special place. God, some people say, oh, Lord, I wish you'd use me in a special way. He says, I will. I will. If you'll fulfill my requirements, I'll use you in a special way. Sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, let's just go through something. First of all, in 2 Timothy 2, chapter, verse 4. First thing, after Paul tells Timothy to declare the things that he declared, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking there about discipline. Discipline. You know, one of the, one of the evidences of the Spirit of God in our lives is supposed to be discipline. That's one of the evidences of the Spirit of God in our lives, that we live disciplined lives. Now, there's some people that are disciplined in some areas, but when it comes to spiritual things, there's no discipline whatsoever. And all you have to do is find out what happens in the life of a soldier when he's trained, or what happens in the life of an individual who is training for the Olympics, to know what I'm talking about when it comes to spiritual discipline. He says, a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He's talking about, now, by the way, he's not talking about here isolation. He's talking about separation. That you have a different purpose and a different calling. When two young men meet downtown and the one has a military uniform on, especially during times of war, and the other one is working in the war plant, They'll talk about their old times, but then when they start talking about getting involved in something, for example, if the man working at the plant says, why don't you and I go down here on the corner and start up a business and get involved in business with the 50-50 partners in the thing, the young man in the uniform would say, I'd love to do that, but you'll have to wait until I, what? Until I get out of the army or the Marines or whatever. I have to get out first because my total commitment is here. You see, if the, if the uh, commanding officer says I have to go here or go there or do this or do that at a moment's notice, I've got to drop everything and go because I'm committed during this time to that call. What was it? A man said some years ago, he said, most Christians today, if God called them out of town to do something for him, they'd have to get the banker's permission before they could go anywhere. They are so involved in debt, they are so involved in material things, they are so involved in the affairs of society that it would be almost impossible for God to call them anywhere. I really believe this is why very few young men today are feeling the call to the ministry or to the mission field. A lot of young ladies seem to hear the call to the mission field today, but very few young men. And I cannot believe in my spirit that God is calling all women today instead of all men. I believe that what's happening is that the young men are becoming entangled in the affairs of this life more than in the calling of God for their life. God is seeking out young men who will be totally committed to the service of Jesus Christ. And I've said this over and over again. I want young men to think about this. Think about this now. If you become the finest surgeon on the face of the earth, the finest, no man can outwork, outdo your work. Or the finest attorney on the face of the earth. What does that do in the light of eternity if God has put his hand on you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? You may be able to save a man's life, but he's still going to die. But if you save a man's soul, he'll never die. 
And when you save his soul and he wins others to Christ and they win others to Christ and they win others to Christ, a physician may make himself millions of dollars in this life and lay it all down at the casket, leave it all behind all the prestige and all the monuments and all the plaques and all the honors that are on the wall will be left behind. But when one serves Jesus Christ and commits his life to that purpose, he lays nothing down because everything he has gained in this life in the way of winning souls to Christ, he'll take with him to glory and he'll receive a reward. There is no comparison between the two. That's why the word of God says here, that a good soldier does not become intent. Now let me let me just stop and tell you something. I'm not saying here that God's not uh, is that God's trying to tell you that you're not to be involved in business. What I am telling you is that if you are called into a business, or if you are called into some place of employment, that God you have to recognize that God has put you there specifically for a spiritual purpose. You know, I have closets in my house, and I put light bulbs in my closet. Not just so that my light bulbs can be in the closet, it's so that when I open the closet door, I can turn them on and see what's in that closet. The only place light is needed is in dark places. And today everybody's talking about let's build Christian communities and communes and these big high-rise condominiums with all believers in there. And it's kind of ridiculous to have 60 or 80 or 200 or 400 light bulbs all in one closet. The word of God says we're to be the salt of the earth. Have you ever had a taste of the salty ham? You know, ham only needs so much salt. Salt is supposed to retard putrefaction and, and spoiling. And so if salt's going to be any good, you've got to spread it out all over. And God has called you and me to a specific purpose. I might go and, and work in a plant. But my working in that plant is not just to get a salary, to buy food and rent and a roof over my head to get enough strength and be able to sleep and get enough strength to go back and work again. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to declare the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And if in doing so, I am working in this place or that place or another place, has nothing to do with it. It's just being where God wants me to be and not entangled to where my whole life and my whole flusters and that thing. I have been around people. All they can talk about, retired people, all they can talk about is their past life. Oh, when I was in business, I did thus and such, and I did thus and such, and I did, you know what? They, they already did. They're living in the past. Everything's in the past. Well, I can still remember when I did thus and such, and I put this financial deal together and made millions of dollars. I remember when I investigated over here in this situation, and I was in the FBI, and I... They're living in the past. Paul says, forgetting that which is past, live every day that exciting things happen every day in your life where you don't have to talk about the past. You're not, your life, see, that, that what they're actually saying is my life was back there. Now I'm just kind of existing the rest of the time here until God calls me home. That's what they're actually saying. All the exciting things that ever happened to me are back there because they placed their importance on the wrong thing. And if you and I, as good soldiers of Jesus, now by the way, I don't know if you know this, once you were enlisted in the army, you do not get retired from this army until God calls you home. And that's not even retirement because we're going to get ready to come back and rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So what he's actually saying is put things in the right perspective. That's where you make your living, but that is not your living. Your living, for me to live is, for me to live is, what did Paul say? For me to live is, huh? some people say for me to live is my job. For me to live is my home. For me to live is my family. Paul says no, for me to live is Christ. Let me tell you something, that home will fall apart someday. Your family may even forsake you. 
You may have to let your family go sometimes. But Jesus never leaves us. Jesus never forsakes us. And when our commitment is totally to him, everything else is put in its proper place. As a military person, you know that when you're there, everything else has to be put in its proper perspective. You may even have to take your old car and jack it up on blocks and and take the wheels off and, and uh, fix the engine, take the spark plugs out and put oil in the engine and everything and let it sit up on blocks while you're gone because you can't give yourself to that. Many men in the military have had to turn their, uh, richer men have had to turn over their estates to some man who will handle all the affairs of their state uh, like, mili- uh, like um, political people today. The president or somebody, if he goes into the political office, he has to turn all of his estate over to another man who will handle it for him so there's no conflict of interest there. I love that because when we come into the service of Jesus Christ, we're to turn all of our affairs, financial and otherwise, over to the leading of the Holy Spirit and let him direct our affairs in every area. We don't become entangled there. We simply say, Lord, it's yours. All I need is direction. And you know, God calls some people just for that very thing, to have discernment and understanding. It seems like everything they touch turns to gold. First thing is becoming entangled with the affairs of this life. The second thing is in verse 12. 2 Timothy 2.12. Uh, let's, let me start with verse 11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Now you see, he's saying if this is true, then that is true. If this is so, then this is so. And so let me put it in reverse. First of all, if you have not died with Christ, you're not going to be able to live with Christ. You have to die before you can live. Christ died and now he lives forevermore. We were buried with Christ and so we live with him. That's the thinking that Paul's bringing out here. Uh, he, in other words, everything is built upon this premise. If you did this, did you, did you really die with Christ? If you did, then you'll live with him also. Verse 12, if we suffer or are willing to suffer, if we are willing to suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we are willing to suffer, we, are also, we will also reign with him. Let me tell you something. If you and I are not willing to suffer for the name of Christ, neither will we reign with him. He said, if any man is ashamed of me on earth before men, I'll be ashamed of him before my Father which is in heaven. And whoso denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. Look at that second verse. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, another, the Greek word actually for deny there is disown. Some people say, Brother Weber, are you saying that God will disown us? Not if we don't disown him. Well, I thought that once we, we, we get locked into Jesus Christ, it's impossible to get out of him. God is not going to make a robot out of you. You came to Christ as an act of your will. And the Word of God talks about those who make shipwreck of their faith. God will never forsake you. But if the time ever comes, you say, I deny what I believe. I want nothing more to do with that. God's not going to grab you by the nap and say, oh, yes, you will. You'll come to heaven whether you like it or not. You say, can you give some scripture verses? Let's just take a few First Chronicles, the Old Testament, First Chronicles, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever, God has not changed. First Chronicles 28, 9, David was making preparation for building a temple, and uh, God said, David, you can't build a temple, you're a bloody man, your son Solomon will build a temple. And so God speaks to Solomon. Verse 9 of chapter 28, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thought. If thou seek him, isn't that amazing how many times that little two-letter word is in there? If thou seek him, 
he will be found of thee, but if thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him. Now he's talking to Solomon who already declared that he was believing in God. He had already been chosen by God to build the temple. The next verse says, Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. But if ye forsake me, if ye turn away from me, I will cast thee off forever. Look again in Second uh, Chronicles, the 15th chapter. We'll start with verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, is Judah and Benjamin part of the tribes of Israel? Were they part of the tribes of Israel? Were they God's chosen people? All right, were they, were they the beloved of God in that day? The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Then turn over one more time to Ezra, the eighth chapter. Next book over. Ezra, the 8th chapter, verse 22. Now this is when the children of Israel were coming out of captivity and going to go back to build, rebuild the temple in Ezra and Nehemiah's time. The prophet had already gone and told the king that God was with them and that God was going to bless them and God was going to send them back. And he said, now I'm ashamed to actually go back and ask him for a, a group of soldiers to go back and, and uh, go with us and protect us all the way back to Jerusalem. And let, let me show you there what he said about it. He says, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. He said, I already told him this. Now for me to go back and ask him for a bunch of soldiers to go along and protect us on the way, he'll say, Well, what's the matter with your God, you know? He went on to say, but his power and his wrath is against all them that what? What does it mean to forsake? Does it mean that you never had anything to do with them originally? No, it means that you've had a relationship in the past and you turn away from it, doesn't it? If you forsake a friendship, it means you had a friendship and you had turned from that friendship. If you forsake a marriage, you had a marriage relationship and you forsake it, you turned away from it. If you had an inheritance and you turned away from it, you've forsaken, you have forsaken that inheritance. And he's saying God will bless and he's with for good all them that seek him, but those that turn away from him or forsake him, he's against. He's against them. So he's saying now, first of all, make sure you don't deny me. There in the 12th verse of Second Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.12, he says, if you're willing to suffer, you'll reign with him, but don't deny him, because if you deny him, he'll also disown you. So make sure that that commitment you made back there was absolute. How many of you, in the years that you've known the Lord, have seen people come and just make the most emotional decision? I mean, you thought that that was it for life, only to see them turn around and take right off the other direction, forsake that decision they made in the past. How many of you have seen people do that? You see why Paul warned Timothy to, to, to warn these Christians concerning this. Be very, very careful. Don't say something and then not mean it. Don't start building a house and not finish it. Don't start to go to war without being willing to go all the way through. And that's why we keep talking about quality commitment back here. If you want to be used as a vessel under the Lord, don't be double-minded. Don't say, yes, I'll serve the Lord. Well, not in this case, you know. I'll forsake him in that case. It's because God will be against those that forsake him. If you disown him, he's not going to disown you. 
As long as you seek him and want him and desire his will. Now, I say this because some people say, oh, Brother Webb, now I feel like I'm lost. Now, there's no reason to feel like you're lost unless you're willfully disobeying God and disowning him as your, your Lord and Savior. I'm talking about willfully. If sin still bothers you and still makes you sick inside and you don't want it there, that's evidence of the new law. But if when a man comes and says, I'll do my own thing no matter what, God, just get your hand off my life. I, I, I will not make that kind of a commitment. There's been so many times I've had people come and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And only a few months later I'll say, God's word says you need to deal with this in your life. No way. I said, wait a minute now, you said he was Lord. Well, yeah, but I'm not willing to give that up. Now, come on. You said he was Lord. If he's Lord, he's really Lord. No, sir, I, I'm not willing to pay that price. And immediately remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, sir, what must I do to have eternal life? Let me tell you something. Jesus did not refuse that young man. Jesus did not refuse that young man. That young man refused Jesus. He disowned Jesus. Didn't want anything to do. That was too big of a price. Also, don't let that happen now. Don't disown the Lord. Continue to declare him as Lord and Master of your life. Verse 13. He says you should purge yourself of unbelief. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now what does that mean? It says if we don't believe, just because we don't believe God can do something does not mean that God cannot do something. I don't understand how God can wash away my sins and forgive me and put them behind his back. I don't understand that, but I do know one thing, it, it happened. He still remaineth faithful. But I do believe with all my heart. You see, what he's actually saying is, even if you don't believe God for something, God is still faithful and God is still willing to do it if you believe him for it. But one of the greatest tragedies today is that the church is not receiving all that God has for it because it isn't willing to believe God for it. 